This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Mark Breesacker. Dr. Breesacker is the Chief Physician Executive at Intermountain Healthcare. Intermountain Healthcare is, of course, one of the most respected health systems in the country. We're going to talk to him today about what does a physician group have to be magnificent at? What does that look like to be a great physician group now and over the next 10, 15 years or so? Dr. Breesacker, can you take one moment and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Intermountain Physician Group today, uh, and then we'll talk more about what it has to look like now and going forward. Great, Scott. Thank, first of all, thank you for having me, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. So, um, I, look, I'm a general pediatrician, uh, grew up in the Midwest, and uh, came out to Salt Lake City to train at Primary Children's Hospital and the University of Utah and joined Intermountain Healthcare after completing my training and have been with them for for 25 years now. Um, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm the chief physician executive and which means that I've got, you know, my, um, you know the, the honor and privilege of working with, with uh, many physicians across both of our employed medical groups and, uh, and our medical staffs, uh, 24 medical staffs. Um, we, we employ uh, pushing probably, uh, to 2,500 plus docs and AP and advanced practice providers. We have three groups that are part of Intermountain Healthcare. The, we have the Utah Intermountain Medical Group. That's our largest group for sure. That's the group that's been part of Intermountain Healthcare uh, since 1994. Uh, we also have our Intermountain Nevada group, uh, 300 docs and advanced practice providers down in Clark County and Nye County in Southern Nevada. They're, you know, they are a great group of, of, of providers who really focus on taking full risk for populations and do an amazing job at that. And then we have our Salser Medical Group up in the Boise area. So uh, all in all, just a great, great combination of, of committed people that come to work every day with, with the patient first in mind. And you've got this mix of physician groups. And the Nevada group specifically was, a, was I think, an affiliation, an acquisition, we're really a risk-bearing group almost entirely. Talk a little bit about what does a large physician group need to look like and be great at now and going forward? You know, I, I, today, and as you look to the future, Scott, what every medical group needs to do is be as consumer-centered as they can be. Uh, the healthcare consumer um, has rapidly evolved uh, as we have worked through this pandemic. Uh, the idea that we can do so much for people without having them uh, get into their car or take public transportation to come sit in a waiting room and then see uh, the team and take you know a quarter, a third, or even half of their day to do that. Um, we groups really need to to understand how people want to be served, and then leverage every bit of technology and remote patient monitoring and digital platforms to provide that care. Uh, and of course, in the provision of that care, each and every moment, each and every experience they have, from that very first phone call to uh, to the clinical care that's provided. Uh, to the to the supporting them as they navigate healthcare finances, those experiences have to be absolutely the very best. Uh, that's what builds loyalty and trust, and it's 
it really comes down to that uh, when when you think about taking care of communities uh, across across the multiple states that we do. So, so you look at everything being as consumer centric as possible, and 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 really taking care of patients. Look at the range of specialists from an oncologist to a pediatrician to an orthopedist to a rheumatologist. Does that look any different for different specialists, or is that mind vision the same regardless of specialty? And, and how do you get there? And what is that? We know what that means when you're talking to the patient, that you're actually giving the patient your full attention, that, that you're really listening and talking to them. But what does that mean in practice every day for a physician? And is it much more than a physician? Is it a team effort, a technology effort, and so forth to really have that consumer or patient focus? You know, it's so first of all, to the first question, these are these are very much human things. This is how any of us wants to be treated. And uh, it's true of of any interaction, whether you're dealing, you know, managing, getting your car repaired. Or, or hiring someone to work on on your home or your apartment, uh, uh, or healthcare. I mean, you, you want you want to have interactions that are kind and respectful, uh, curious about you. Uh, you know, you, you want to feel that that you, you want to have that experience of being seen, being heard, being being uh, thought of. And so, it it doesn't matter what what your role is. Um, uh, or what your specialty is, so it's it, it's a it's a broadly applicable human thing. Um, look, I think that going forward, we in healthcare uh, we have to hire for this. We have to train people to be very good at this. When you compare healthcare to other industries, other service industries, you know the amount of the amount of time that those industries spend just working with their teams on how to create these types of experiences, the small things that you can do in each and every moment, that that time is significantly higher than 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 it is in healthcare. So, we we have to, you know, we we have to hire for empathy. We have to hire for service, and that has to be super important to us. This is something that. You know that our chief consumer officer Kevin Mavitt, who I think you know he previously was at Disney before joining Intermountain, he talks about this and has really, uh, really helped us understand this. And then I, I would say, uh, you know, for those that are kind of like me who have been in practice for 20 plus years, um, we have to recognize that this is an important new skill set. Now, I, I suspect many of us ha have it already. I mean, the, you know, in terms of that commitment to people and wanting to serve them in the best way. Um, but but we, what we have to do is acknowledge that it's no longer adequate just to provide the safest care and the highest quality care. That's, those are table stakes. That's what people expect of us in our profession. What we need to do is develop these other skills of service uh, we have to make investments in our digital platforms, and and then we have to execute. So uh, it's it's big and important work that every group should be thinking about. You have this very interesting mix of specialists in the country that are trying to do the right thing, that feel under fire as fee for services under fire, that are very used to seeing a patient front on and getting paid for seeing that patient and taking that care of that patient wonderfully well. How does the movement from fee-for-service to value-based care 
what does that mean for physician patient relationships? And, and, you know, I know DeMarcus done this magnificent job of moving half of their entire business to value-based care versus quote unquote fee for service. But Mark, what does it really mean for treating a patient? Does it really mean anything or should it mean anything? You know, I, I, but it, so I don't know. I, I think it actually means quite a bit to both patients and to, and to docs and advanced practice providers. So, you know, we, we started with about 20 docs in, in 2018 that uh, moved from a fee-for-service practice to, to a full value-based care practice where everyone they were caring for was under a value-based contract. We, we're now approaching 120 docs and APPs in primary care uh, that, that are, are doing this type of work. And, and every other uh, of our primary care docs, every one of them, has some component of value-based care in their in their practice. Our docs want to do this. They they want to do it because um, it it frees them up to always be doing the right thing. They they start their day and they ask the question, who who needs to be seen today? Who needs support from us? And how should we do that? Which is a very different question compared to how many people are on my schedule? Is it enough? Uh, is it too, do I have a whole bunch of complicated patients today, um, which might end up, which might mean that I don't make it to my kid's soccer game or I don't get home for dinner? Um, you know, am I, and I just think, Scott, that our docs tell us they want to care for people in this way. Um, our docs in Nevada that you, that we talked about earlier, they, they just, they love, love this part of it. And, um, and the other thing that's even more important is that patients love it too because they have the time um, you're no longer trying to squeeze everything in to a 15 minute uh, moment and I, it, I, i'll go back to scott I, I think so many docs and and providers they they do have these skills but the fee-for-service system creates time crunches that then leads to shortcuts and you justify it emotionally by just saying well i have to see 30 or 40 patients today, sometimes more. Um, but deep down, I feel that that, that just has a, a, a long-term impact on the sort of the cognitive dissonance that it creates, that knowing that this person in front of me really deserved more from me, more time from me, more support from me, but I just cannot give it because fee-for-service means I gotta keep moving. So I, I, I think that from a public health policy um, we, we should, of course, be moving more towards value-based care for these reasons. No, fa- fantastic, Dr. Breesacker. And, and, and Mark, what are you most excited about this year? What are you most focused on and excited about this year? Well, um, look, I, I'm I'm super excited about what you know. I, 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 when you think about the options you have, the, the options to advance care, to make the experience better, to make it safer, to improve quality outcomes, there are a lot of options out there for us and, and for other groups as well. Um, you, you don't have to, I, I think a lot of people might listen, be listening and thinking, well, you need a big system to be able to do these things. And, and you actually don't. There, there are a lot of things you can do to start down this digital pathway um, and, and connecting more easily with with your patients, and um, and so look, we're we're excited about 
about that work at Intermountain Healthcare. Um, we learned so much in the pandemic, and we will not let those lessons um, fall by the wayside. We, it, from my perspective, we are obligated to take everything we've learned and and get better as as a healthcare delivery system. And you know, you can count on us to do that. And Dr. Bracecker, what are some of the lessons you learn when you affiliate with really truly a group that's completely value based? sort of in the Medicare Advantage world or the Medicaid Advantage world, what are some of the lessons that an organization like Intermountain that is a great learning organization, what do you take from that? What are some things you learn from, from affiliations like that? So I, I would say, so the number one thing that uh, we learned is that everything we have done to move towards value-based care, the systems we've put in place, the remote patient monitoring that we set up, uh, the teams of care that, that were created, all of those things had us very well positioned to manage the pandemic because that's where everything headed. You know, we, uh, the hospitals were, were overrun with taking care of extremely sick COVID-19 patients. We were working diligently to keep people out of the hospital, leveraging hospital at home, again, the, that remote patient monitoring, home care services. Um, so I think the number one thing is, you know, value-based care as a long-term investment helps you be ready for those unexpected things that can occur. And, you know, because, you know, from a, from a, from a clinical operations perspective, you know, given that your payment models are, are, yes, there's some fee for service, but there's also the value-based care component that also gives you that flexibility, uh, to be able to respond in those moments. The second thing that I think is really important, Scott, is that we learned that or relearned that we can make decisions faster. We should always keep the patient in mind and our caregivers in mind as we do that. We should ask our caregivers for how we should do that because they have all the right ideas and we can move fast. And, um, you know, on a regular basis now, you can count on us to say, if we were, if we were designing this from scratch, so, so how would we do that? Um, we'll throw everything up on the wall and just start all over and look for ways to be better. Um, that type of change is much more impactful than incrementalism, which I think plagues so much part of healthcare. You know, that idea of let's just get a little bit better. That's, that's not okay. Uh, we have to get a lot better. And, and so I'd say those are the big three lessons from the pandemic. In talking about incrementalism, most of us at heart are incrementalists. It's much easier most of us to see that way. Once in a while, I run into somebody who's so smart and so much smarter than I am that they are able to be not an incrementalist. Like in law school, we were with eight of us. One person was so brilliant. He could see everything 10 steps ahead of us. The rest of us couldn't. How do you move the rest of us away from incrementalism when we don't, when most of us don't move at that mindset? It, it's very hard to move to see three steps ahead versus it's why my son always kills me in chess. He could see two or three steps ahead. I can't. How do we move away from incrementalism? Well, first, I, I, you and I should play chess, but I'll pass on paying your son, your son in chess because I sure I, I I would get destroyed as well. Hey, I think Scott, it starts with trust, of course, um, and it starts with with making sure that when whenever possible and as much as you can, you're you're out there having people be part of of the question about. You know what is it about us that is giving giving us our current results? You know why do we have disparities in healthcare? What 
you know, it, uh, let's understand who we are, and then we might get some insights into how to be better. The second thing that is helpful is we, we talk a lot about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, so much of medicine is about developing enough certainty and enough comfort when you're treating a patient to say, this is, this is what we think is going on and this is what the plan of care is. When it comes to making healthcare better, you actually have to get back to being uncomfortable and ask the tough questions. Um, and I think then the third, the third thing you do, Scott, is you just, you take people through it um, one time, two times, three times, you learn by doing, and with time, and we've seen this within, within our, especially within our leadership core of physicians and advanced practice providers here, people come to see that you can do so much more by taking that approach of not, not accepting incrementalism, but rather looking to make the big change. Most evolutionary change, Scott, doesn't happen incrementally. It looks like it when you look past, you know, you look in the, in the rearview mirror, but most of the biggest changes occur in, in the more extreme moments and creating those moments that are safe and, um, um, you know, leveraging the trust you developed, I think that's, that's the way you go about it. Dr. Brisak, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's always truly enlightening, and I always learn a lot. It's amazing what is going on at Intermountain. The amount of in, things that you are accomplishing and doing is truly fascinating, and, and thank you for taking I mean, it. It's almost like the zero-to-one concept with Civica RX, this acquisition in Las Vegas, and some of the things that are being done truly are not incremental, and it's fascinating to watch. So anyways, thank you so much for taking the time to visit us today, Dr. Breesacker. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. You're, you're very welcome, Scott. I really appreciate the questions, and, and have a great day.